Hello and welcome to this podcast from Blackwell Online. My name is George Miller, and my guest today is one of this country's finest novelists and playwrights, as well as an astute critic and accomplished translator from Russian. But Michael Frayn began his writing career as a journalist in the Manchester Guardian, and Faber have just published Travels with a Typewriter, a collection of his finest travel pieces, which he wrote as a freelance in the 1960s and 70s. His destinations range from Paris and Berlin to Israel, America and Cuba, and everywhere Frayn's shrewd, quizzical gaze is turned on the stuff of everyday life. He writes in his preface that the pieces in this book mean a lot to him. I asked him to tell me more about the significance they hold. Um, I read them at a, at a time of my life when uh, things were changing. I'd been uh, writing a humorous column for, for the first The Guardian and then The Observer, and I decided I was getting rather um, set in my ways and uh, that I should go back to do some reporting. I, I'd begun my career as a reporter on The Guardian, and as I say in the introduction, I sometimes feel that all uh, writers who write fiction ought to be required by law occasionally to go back and do a bit of reporting just to remind them of how unlike what they imagine the world to be, the world actually is. Um, it's very complicated. There's an awful lot of stuff out there in the world and it's arranged in a very complicated way. And disentangling it and describing it is extremely difficult. So I wanted to get out of my study and go back to, go back to the world. What was it like going back to them? I presume you hadn't looked at many of them in the intervening 40 or so years, 30 or 40 years. So what was it like going back and rediscovering them 30 or 40 years on? It was uh, rediscovering an earlier part of my own life, but also rediscovering uh, the world as it was back in the, um, in the 70s. And an awful lot of things have changed since then. One of the pieces is about, uh, uh, is about Berlin, um, and when I wrote that, Berlin was a divided city, and it didn't seem as if it's ever going to change. I think the single most surprising political event that's occurred in my life, lifetime is, is the uh, opening of the Berlin Wall and the removal of the Berlin Wall. And to go back to the world as it was before that happened is really it's quite a shock. And when you were writing the pieces, did you, did you have more or less carte blanche where you went, or were you being sent, or could you choose where you wanted to go? Uh, no, I was given uh, really absolute carte blanche, um, but also some very good assistance and advice in, in choosing subjects. The um, Berlin article in, in particular, I told David Astor, who was then the editor of The Observer, that I wanted to write about Germany, but I couldn't see how to... I've never, never been to Germany, and I... I, I begun to get rather intrigued by it and I wanted to write about it and couldn't see how to focus it and he said go to Berlin uh, because uh, the whole German situation is focused in one in one uh, single city there because the city is divided like the whole country and I did go I was absolutely stunned by Berlin my imagination was completely caught by it and it was the beginning of my fascination with Germany which has continued I uh, found out a lot more about it since, travelled a lot more widely in Germany and, and written quite a lot about uh, Germany one way or another. So, so travel, you're going back to what you were saying about novelists being required to get out there and see the world, the, the travel has actually influenced the direction of your, your thought and therefore your other writing since. 
Yes, there's several uh, fictions I've written which have been based on uh, travel. One of my early novels was called The Russian Interpreter, and that was based not on uh, on reporting, but a, a trip that um, that I made as a student to Russia. Some friends and I, who all spoke Russian, got up what I think was the very first student exchange, and went. Uh, they would only let us in for a month. We spent a month at Moscow University. This was back in 1956, and it was a that was a great eye opener. Then um, one of the articles in the book is about Cuba and. Um, I based a, a play on Cuba called Clouds. And um, I suppose um, Democracy, my play about uh, uh, about uh, Willy Brandt, comes out of uh, all my travels in Germany. Yeah. It does bring you... Going to write about some um, unfamiliar place does open your eyes and does um, uh, refresh your, your perception... And uh, it makes you start thinking about things again. Even if this is not explicit, I think there's, re- reading these pieces from the, the late 60s and the early 70s, there's a kind of implicit comparison, it seemed to me, between what life is like in Great Britain and what life is like overseas. So you're sort of, you're sort of testing what it means to live in Sweden or Austria or, or Germany and sort of thinking, how does, this, how does this compare to life back home? Then one, one point where it is explicit is where you come back from Sweden. You've been sort of thinking about the Swedish model and you, are, you encounter a train strike, I think, and lots of things are not working. And so there it sort of becomes explicit. But, but were you sort of in those days sort of thinking, well, you know, what is it like to be Viennese today compared to living in London? Yes, I think one of the intentions with all the pieces was um, to write about uh, the most ordinary aspects of life in the places I visited. Uh, most journalism, uh, very reasonably, is about uh, the extraordinary. It's about um, the the tragic and the terrible, uh, or sometimes the, um, the wonderful. Uh, but it's about things that are out of the ordinary, and I sort of think sometimes there's a point in writing articles about uh, life as it is for most people most of the time uh, in, in the place because, uh, by definition, most things in most people's lives are not extraordinary. But that's what extraordinary means. So I was trying to concentrate on what it was just like being an ordinary person arriving in some um, ordinary place. And... Um, seeing what was in front of his eyes. And you're very honest about the fact that the big picture is sometimes difficult to grasp. I think in, in, the, in the instance of Cuba, you say that sometimes you, you, you think it's going one direction and other times you think it may be going the other direction. It's difficult to actually say this works or this doesn't work when it's, you're talking about something as complex as a, a whole society. Well, uh, specifically when I went to Cuba, I thought uh, everyone's got views about Cuba. They either think it's it's uh, a wonderful, hopeful experiment or they think it's a, a disaster. I'm going to go without any preconceptions. I'm just going to uh, look and uh, describe what I see and not try to come to any general conclusions. But I found it was impossible. Every day uh, what I saw suggested the general picture and I began to feel cheerful and optimistic and think, yeah, things are not bad here, things are working. And then the next day, a few things go wrong and uh, I see some really terrible things and I think, this is a terrible place. It's an absolute dump. And I found it very difficult to detach myself from any general feeling about the place. But 
all I can hope is that the uh, this sequence of general pictures that I had as, as I went through Cuba to some extent balance each other out. Mm. Yes, you're very, you're very honest about about not coming to categorical conclusions, and you proceed by sort of like an assemblage of encounters or snapshots or moments or impressions. Yes, I think it's the uh, it's perhaps it's the only way to to do it. The bigger the picture that one tries to do, the more generalised it becomes and the less it actually relates to the immediacy of one's own experience. I think it's very much is a case with uh, with plays and novels too. I mean, uh, novels that try to uh, take in the state of, uh, of, a, of a nation over a century or whatever, uh, it all does get a bit uh, generalised and it's... it's uh, it really has to be focused on a, on a few, on the intense experiences of a few characters. So when you went to somewhere like Sweden or Austria, for example, did you have a set of questions in your head that you wanted to pursue? Was it, were, you, were you there to kind of register impressions and then to try and distill something from that? I tried to go to all these places with as empty a mind as possible, but of course one can't help but have some preconceptions particularly about somewhere like Sweden. I've been to Sweden before. I knew Sweden fairly well before. And, of course, I knew that everyone has got views about Sweden. There are a series of prejudices about Sweden, a series of, of things that people know about Sweden. They know it's the highest suicide rate in Europe, uh, it's the highest drunkenness rate. And they're all false, but trying to persuade people of this is, is quite difficult. But one can't help but see the contrast between the reality in front of one's eyes and uh, the, the prejudices one, one knows that, uh, uh, that people have about them. I also like the fact that your attention is often drawn to the quirky detail. So you'll pick up on the, you know, the sex column in the Swedish newspaper or um, you engage in a spot of navel-gazing in, in Saint-Tropez, which I found he was actually looking at the navels of others. And so little things... I guess that's the novelist's side, perhaps, is drawn to little telling details like that, quirks. Yes, I think um, you can often uh, see eternity in a grain of sand, <laughs> and you can see something about the, the state of a nation in, uh, in, some, quite, uh, in some quite small detail. Mm. But it seemed to me that sometimes you, you allowed your attention to wander, and that was fine. It didn't have to, it didn't have to sum up, be summed up as something. It could simply be something interesting and quirky that you had noticed. Yes, I think the, uh, the writing articles and, and uh, writing books or whatever, the, the main thing is, well, you, you, have, you tell a story, a, a story suggests itself and, you, and you, you follow the story. And I think that's even true with reporting, a story begins to emerge from what you're looking at and you, and you follow it. You said, you know, the world has changed since you wrote these pieces, but it's not only the smell of Paris that's gone. And it seemed to me that this kind of journalism is probably a, a vanishing species now, that to give a writer this opportunity to go and immerse him or herself in a, in a culture and just register impressions and then write a long piece which gets published. That, that kind of thing is not, is not really um, to be found much any longer. I think that's probably right. I think... Um there is less of, uh, of that extended uh, journalism where people are allowed to, to look at things and, and write about them in, at length. You still sometimes see um, documentaries like this on television. They're far, far fewer than they used to be. But there was a, a recent one 
made by somebody who lived in Japan for a year or two years or whatever, uh, just about the ordinariness of, of Japanese life, which was a very, very striking piece. I up at a it was done quite cheaply, but um, he had been given the facilities to look at Japan at some considerable length and not at, not at, uh, at um, dramatic aspects of Japan, the most ordinary aspects. He made really compelling television. Would I be right in thinking that Berlin was a city which made the deepest, most lasting impression on you of the ones you visited? Uh, I think it probably was Berlin, yes. The Why Berlin caught my imagination, I think, was because it didn't make any sense as it stood, partly because so much of the city had been destroyed in the war, partly because it was divided. You couldn't see why there was this huge city put down in the middle of nowhere, with two-thirds of it no longer the capital of anywhere, and an industrial city as well, which was completely cut off from its its markets and its um, uh, sources of, uh, of supply. And to make sense of it at all, you had to keep thinking, what was the history? What happened? What was here before? How did it work? And if, when you get imaginatively involved in somewhere like that, it, it's very taking. It, it absolutely gets a hold on one's imagination. It began also to make me think uh, about what has absolutely fascinated me about Germany since, which is how Germany recovered from Nazism and the war. I think most people who are interested in Germany are fascinated by the Nazi period and it is extraordinary it is extraordinary uh, that uh, a civilised western nation could have taken such a dramatic detour from the norms of, uh, of, of morality but what absolutely compels me is having uh, been reduced to total physical and moral degradation in 1945 people were able slowly to put together a working nation again. A very decent, a very prosperous and uh, decent, uh, a, a decent country, which has, um, which has taken its place in the, in the committee of, uh, of nations. And that is something that absolutely, completely takes my imagination and also gives me hope. I think we all make messes in our lives at various points and the thought that, that some nation can make such a disastrous total mess and managed to recover is a cheering one.